Hebrews chapter number 6 this morning, Hebrews chapter number 6, I want to begin to read with verse number 9, Hebrews chapter number 6, beginning to read with verse number 9, appreciate you being here in the house of the Lord this morning, covet your prayers, if you know the Lord, if you can pray, if you can talk to God, I certainly need your prayers this morning, I ask that you call my name to the Lord. We uh, looked last week at the first eight verses of this chapter, and uh, we have saw in those first few verses, Paul was speaking, first of all, to those who were weak, and uh, to those who were wicked. And this week we're looking. We're looking at he's speaking to those. We we're not going to get that far, but to those who are wise, is who he's speaking to. And these you're only going to get three verses, or verses four verses nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. So look with me, if you will, in the book of Hebrews, chapter number nine, chapter number six, beginning to read with verse number nine. The writer said, But beloved, we are partakers, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name. We have ministered to the saints and do minister. We desire that every one of you do shew the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Father in heaven, help us this morning, God. You know our need. You know our fallibleness. You know, God, our everything about us, Lord. And there's nothing that, that's hidden from you. God, today I need you, I need the unction, I need the utterance to speak, I need the clarity of thought, Lord, I need the presence of the Spirit of God to direct me and, con and control my mind, Lord, as I strive to, to preach or teach what you said, us, said to us in your word. God, I ask you, Lord, that you would have the preeminence here, I ask you, Lord, you would take over, God, you would see my weaknesses. You told us, Lord, when we're weak, when we're strong. Lord God, we know that if we can depend upon you, that you'll see us through. Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to have your way today. God, I pray for those that might be here, might not be saved. God, would you speak to their hearts today through the precious word of God. Lord, I know that you could use anybody to preach. If, Lord, this fell my lot today. God, if you could use me, I'd certainly be grateful. I pray, dear God, that you'd bless and that you'd touch every heart, touch every life that might be present at this time. Most especially help those that don't know Jesus. God, help our church. Help us to love you. Help me, Lord, to be what I need to be. Bless my family. God, again, help those that's lost. We ask these things today in Jesus' precious name. For he is worthy. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And be seated. The 
sixth chapter of Hebrews is proven, as I said last week, to be, be one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. I'm talking about that there is so much that without study, without uh, rightly dividing the word of truth, that there's been a whole lot of the sixth chapter of Hebrews that's been misinterpreted, mis has been taken the wrong way. And it, you can begin to read where we read this morning in, in verse 9 and read through the verses 20, and that's where I was going to go this morning and try to, uh, to, to, to finish up the chapter, but it's not going to happen. Because when we read here that we find that Paul said in verse number 9, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. In the words of what we're finding here is by reading this scripture, probably that Paul is figuring that the majority of the people that he's writing here to or those that are reading, there must be some of them that say, must be some of them that know something about the Lord. First of all, he said, uh, "But beloved, we are persuaded better things are uh, persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak." In other words, there must be some of them that have uh, had the evidence that they were saved. Must be some that have had the evidence that they had really and truthfully being born again. As we look uh, today into the Word of God, that, those, that, that, that verse right there has really stuck in my crawl as we were studying and trying to get this thing laid out. I, I was going to preach on the, the entire remaining part, but I, I want to just preach to you, if I can, this morning on the thought of salvation's company. Salvation's company. Well, I don't mean a business, but I mean the things that accompany salvation. The things that come along with salvation. There are, by the authority of the Word of God, there are things that do accompany salvation. There is, uh, there, you, you don't, too many people today and, and too many uh, individuals, and we live in such a a softened society today that that you can live any way in the world, you can behave any way you want to, you can do whatever you want to do just as long as you say you believe there's a Jesus and you can, uh, according to what man's uh, thoughts may be, uh, that, that people will say, well, they're going to heaven or they're saved. But I'm here to tell you but by the authority of God's Word, whether, you're, uh, whether you agree with me or whether you uh, do not agree with me or not, uh, there's one thing for a fact, and that is you cannot argue with Scripture. You cannot uh, uh, debate the Word of God. The Word of God is sure. It is true. It is evident. It will be uh, uh, sure when this world is on fire, uh, this Bible will be true and steadfast. Uh, first of all, I want to look at the exhortation here, if we will. Beloved, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though, thus, uh, though we thus speak. Now, by reading this scripture, as I've already said, we find out that there is fruit uh, uh, unto salvation. There is, you might say, that uh, a proof. How do we know that, that there is a, a fig tree? Well, you go to the fig tree, and there, that fig tree will bear fruit, and it'll be a fig. If you go to uh, an oak tree, you can expect to... Uh, uh, to get, to gather acorns because that is the fruit that that tree produces. Everything bears fruit. And you and I in our life, whether you want to 
that whether you don't want to, you still bear some type of fruit. Uh, you, there, there is the fruitfulness. You, and, and first of all, I want you to see uh, that this fruit uh, is clearly discerned. He said, the things that accompany. It seems as though the writer has, has settled in his mind that, uh, that there are some readers here that, who are, who are generally, generally, uh, genuinely saved, uh, and there seems to be some evidence in their life uh, uh, that they are saved. There seems to be some evidence that, that they've been born again because Paul has, uh, has gathered around, if we, and when we get to the remaining part of those scripture, we'll see that, that that's what he's saying. There's evidence uh, in their life. Uh, I want to ask you a question this morning, and be very blunt about it, and, and you, you're, no, nobody is a better fr- a judge of fruit than what you are, right? You can pre- well, Baptists are the best of it, amen? Uh, we're, we're better at judging than anybody else in the world, it seems like. Or we can look at someone else's life and we can d- uh, dictate, we can tell whether or not anything about them. We, we know how, for how much they love God, how much they lo- don't love Him, how much uh, they love one another. We're bad to be judges in that manner. Uh, so, so while we're doing that, okay, while we're being and, and got that kind of attitude about us, I want to ask you something. I'm not asking you about the one that sits next to you or the one that sits around you or the one that sits behind you, but are you a bearer of good fruit? What kind of fruit are you bearing in your life? In other words, what do people see when they see you? What are, what are they, is there evidence that that you're li- in your life that you're saved? With those that are around you that don't know, I'm talking about those that are not family, those that are not churchgoers with you, those that you work with, that all you have is an acquaintance with them at work, and would they know by the testimony of your life that you're saved? Would they know that? Could they listen at your speech? God help us. Could they listen at your speech and tell that you say? First of all, it's clearly that the Scripture tells us that these things are company. They're clearly discerned. How they, first of all, they're clearly discerned in our works. In verse number 10, he said, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. In other words, they must have been something that these folk had done that had been evidence that they were saved people. They must have been some type of evidence in their life that Paul said God's not quick to forget that. Paul would say God is not going to, he's not unrighteous to, uh, to forget your work and your labor of love. Ephesians verse uh, chapter 2 and verse number 10 uh, said we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus created unto good works. In other words, when we're saved, that there is, a, there is something about us that, that, that ought to make us have a desire and a yearning to produce good works. I mean, that's what ought to take place. 90% of so-called believers today uh, seem to have no work at all, and to go along to, that would go along with their profession. You hear it said a lot of times they have a profession without a possession. That's what it means. They have a profession that they're saved, but there's no testimony 
in their life that they're saved. There, there's, no, there's no proof in their life that they're saved. I, I'm sad to say that there are days maybe that, that we may live in, in, in all of our lives. There may be times and occasions when, when we drop the ball so bad that, uh, that it may not testify the good works of the Lord God and, and, it, may, it, and it may destroy our spiritual well-being when we fought and when we fell, fell in those areas. So I just ask you this morning, in your work, uh, James chapter 2 and verse number 8, you say, preacher, I work stuff now. I know what my Bible says about works. Uh, that we ain't saved by works. I agree with that, bless God. Amen. Eh? We're not saved by works. And I say thank God because I never would make it. Amen. And you never would make it. But, <coughs> but the Bible does say in James chapter 2 and verse number 8, Yea, a man say that he hath faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works works. Let me tell you something. Uh, uh, just because we were saved by grace uh, uh, through faith uh, and not of works lest any man should boast does not mean that works does not accompany uh, salvation. Uh, so first of all, what we find here in this place uh, and in this scripture is in our works that, uh, that you can clearly discern whether or not you're saved. In your, number, number two, in your labor of love. That's what he said here. Look in verse number 10 again. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. We find here that, that one may demonstrate his, uh, his salvation in the love he shows toward the brethren. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But the Bible, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, I mean, can quote this, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Not because we despise them, not because we talk about them, not because we, uh, we run them down, not because we think that they think they're better than us, but, but we know that we have passed from death unto life because we know uh, that we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother, the Bible said, abideth in death. Amen. I didn't, I didn't write the book, friend. God wrote it. God had it written. And if we're, if we're being offended by any portion of the Word of God, I encourage you this morning uh, that you check up from the neck up and make sure that you've been saved by the good grace of God because I'm convinced uh, there's multitudes of people. I'm convinced there's even people uh, that regularly attend our church. Uh, they've got a profession, but they don't have a possession. Amen. They profess that they know the Lord Jesus, but in their heart, they've never been redeemed. They've never met the Lord as their Savior. They've never been, they've been, they've even been baptized. So, and what you ask them about their conversion, they'll take you to the baptismal waters. They, they don't take you to a moment when they got lost and when they, they got in trouble and, and when they uh, got into the place where they had to repent and turn to Jesus uh, for, uh, for something. They don't take you there. They take you to some words they said or some prayer they prayed or some baptismal hole they got into. But I tell you what, you better find yourself in a place where you met Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. You better go back to that place, my friend. That's where Paul is letting us know, the writer here, not only should the fruit of salvation be clearly discerned, 
but it should also be continually developed. Verse number 11. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Uh, what Paul's saying, and we're desiring that every one of you do sh that you have some diligence about you. First of all, let's look at this. There's no place where we should stop living the Christian life. Is that right? Y'all say, preacher, this is elementary. Well, if it's so elementary, I don't know why we ain't got it. If it's so elementary, why we have such a trouble with it? If it's so elementary, why ain't we living this way? Well, preacher, that's all you preach on. Won't you preach on something else? When we get this fixed, I might move on to something else. Amen. But in the meantime, let's just get where the rubber meets the road. And finally, first of all, finally, that we need to, these things need to be con con continually developed in us. In other words, uh, first of all, these attributes ought to be distinctive. Let there be a difference in your life compared to someone else's life. If your life is just like the lost heathen's life, if your life is just as comparable to the life of the lost man, what difference is, you in, is there in you and him? If your life is, uh, has the same marks as the lost man's life does, what is the difference, may I ask? I'm telling you that God said when we get saved that all things are passed away and yet all things are become new and we cannot sweep that verse out of the way. We cannot throw it aside. If your life is not different from the rest of the world, then you need to make a checkup, friend. I'm urging you, we're, brother, we're, if you can't see that the coming of the Lord Jesus is at hand, I'm talking about it's the imminent return of Christ is upon us that I'm telling you, you're blind and cannot see afar off and you need some eyesight. But if your life is of the same manner as the world, what difference is there in you? What, listen, I know that there was times in my life as an early Christian that if you'd have knew me, there was times you wouldn't know where I was saved or not either. But I'll tell you what there was. There was something living inside of me, Brother Joe, that when that wrong would come up like you talked about this morning, when that sin would begin to rise up in me, there's some, there was somebody living deep inside of me that would make my, I, I was miserable. I, 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 you know, the world talks about how, how much fun. Boy, I can go out here and drink, and I can cuss, and I can throw a fit, and I can have so much fun, and I'm still a Christian. I beg to differ. I beg to differ, friend. There's condemnation to the Christian that lives outside of the will of God. There's condemnation. Well, what difference? You see, there needs to be a distinctive difference. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust while, uh, which is against the soul. Peter said this. He said we are to be as strangers and as pilgrims here. And we're to abstain from fleshly lust. Hebrews 11 and 13 said this. This all... These, I'm talking about these heroes of faith, said these all died in faith, 
not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and, and, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's what Hebrews said about those heroes of faith. They, weren't, they didn't belong here. There was a distinctive difference in their life. You hear us talk about, how many of you have heard of talking about the Baptist distinctives? You know, we're, we're not like other religions. Well, there's distinctives. That there's distinctive differences in the Baptist and, and, and our, in our religion or, or religion, there's distinctive differences. And, and no, everything's not okay. Amen. Uh, no, everything's not all right. No, everything's got a steeple. It's not a church. Amen. No, it's all, it's not okay to do everything. It's not. There is a there is a d distinctive differences in thus, but and there also should be distinctive differences between a saved person and a lost person. And if there's not, then there's trouble. There's deception. So we see, first of all, we ought to be continually developing. They ought to be distinctives, and B, they ought to be we ought to be diligent about it. 2 Peter 1 and 10 said, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Now let me go ahead and say this. Salvation is not determined by works. But salvation demonstrates works. Salvation is not determined I don't work to be saved. I don't work to keep myself saved. But I do work because I am saved. Many today have no confidence because they have no works that accompany their profession. They have no assurance in their salvation because they're the best judge of themselves that anybody could possibly be. They realize in their self that there's something different about them. There's something that they don't have. There's, there's something within them that's missing. There's something within them that's, uh, that's not right. And they've got their self believing that, that they can be different even according to what the Bible said. That they've got their self believing that, you know what, I can even, I can still be saved and go against what the Bible says. There's entire religions doing that today. But you haven't got to go to false religion to find it. We can find it in the Baptist church. Matter of fact, we don't have to go very far. We can find it probably in the pews we sit, we, we sit in today. We have no confidence because we have no works that accompany salvation. Sure, we're going to fall. We're going to fail. But they should be also some sort of godly sorrow, wouldn't you say? Godly sorrow. Speaking of that, we're made to 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 9. You know what we need to be? We need to be aware of our situation. We don't need to be deceived by our situation. You know what? If I was 
If I was really lost, you know what I'd want to know? I'd want to know I was lost. I'd want to be aware of my situation. You know, when I got help in my life with far as spiritual help with my soul was when I got lost. When, when I got saved is when I, when I got, I had to get lost before I could ever get saved. You've heard me say that over and over and time and time again. But there's so many people today who seem like they never get lost. And there's religions that teach that, well, you've been saved all along anyhow. And that the Calvinists don't think that you, well, you know, you, you're either born saved or born lost. That's the biggest uh, crock of hogwash you ever heard in your life. God made you a free moral agent. you got a choice. The Lord Jesus died for you. Now you believe and accept that or you don't. One way you'll be saved. The other way you'll be lost. But 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 9, the Bible said, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry. Paul's talking to this church at Corinth because he had written them a letter in 1 Corinthians and he had really raked them over the coals about their sinfulness that was within the church. He said, but, but that ye were made sorry to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. Listen to this now. Hold on to your, hold on to your halos while you grab a hold of this now, all right? Ye sorrowed, uh, sorrowed after a godly sword. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Paul said you were made sorry. And it made a difference. You were made sorry, and it made a difference. I ask you something. Has there ever been a difference made in your life? As much as we're sometimes aware of actions, and as we're quick to pass judgment upon folks for their wrong. Let us even be quicker to have a godly sorrow about ourselves and our own. I'm wrong. I failed. I've done wrong. God forgive me. I want to ask you this. Is there even a deeper sorrow in your heart over your own sin? Over your sin? I don't know about you, but there's times that I'm restless. Because I've done wrong, my conscience is bothered. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. There's times that we need to pay attention to our spirit. Listen to what our spirit man says. Is your spirit ever grieved because of your sinfulness? Y'all listening this morning? I, I, I may be preaching just to myself. That's okay if I am. But is your spirit ever grieved because you've done God wrong? 
Or does it not? Can you do God wrong? Nothing bothers you. Can you sin against what God says in His book and there be no condemnation come upon you? Pay attention to your spirit. Your spirit's never grieved over sin. And friend, I'm going to tell you, you most probably don't know the master. Most probably never have been saved. If you can sin against God on a regular, habitual basis, and there never come any condemnation upon you for the sin that you're living in. And there's probably something wrong with your soul. There's probably something wrong with your soul. But preacher, do you remember when I made the profession? Oh, I may remember when you made the profession. Preacher, you remember when I ran the aisles? I may remember when you run the aisles. Preacher, remember when I shouted? I may remember when you shouted. But only you and God knows whether or not you've been born again. Pay attention to your own spirit. Has your spirit ever grieved over your own sin? Has there ever come a time that you were guilty of sinning against God? Only you were the one that knew about it. Listen to me. Put your God-given eyes on preaching. Only you were the one that knew about it. And in your heart, you were condemned and grieved. Has there ever been a time that did not happen? Or does it happen? And I'm not trying to be a pre, uh, trying to point nobody nowhere. I'm just trying to point out the truth this morning. And that is, there's people that are deceived. Too many people today that call themselves Christians can live as they please with no remorse. And friends, something's not right. Something is not right. First Timothy four sixteen. Timothy said, "Take heed unto yourself, unto thyself, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, those shall. For in doing this, these shall both save thyself." them that hear them. Look at yourselves. Look at yourself. We're not preaching this morning for us to be looking around at anybody else. But we're preaching to look at ourselves and our response to God's Word. Brother Joe mentioned the Scripture this morning. Maybe Brother Mark Numbers 32-23 where that the Lord said to be sure your sin will find you out. You make it through this lifetime. 
making everybody else think you're okay and you're saved. You say, oh, preacher, that scripture didn't come to pass. That It's going to come to pass. Be sure your sin will find you out. You stand before the master. When you stand at judgment, there will be no mistake made that day. Look at yourselves and your response to God's word. In this new year, please be sure how you stand with God. This could possibly be the last new year that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ ever sees. Matter of fact, I'm pretty well expecting that. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Well, preacher, what about those that's lost? They've had their opportunity to be saved. When it's all said and done, they've made their choice. Some of you will make your choice this morning. Does the life that you live when no one is around but family, does it agree with the Word of God? I know what we say. Well, preacher, I'm not perfect and neither is anyone else. And I say, right, none of us are perfect. But if that, that statement is an excuse to live as you please, it's not going to work. Today, what do we need? Young Amberly said the other night during Wednesday night's service, really touched my heart. But she remembered as a little girl seeing the people of God move seeing folks get up and stir around at the altar. And what she wanted to see in this year was she wanted these younger ones to see what she got to see as a little girl. What we need today is old-fashioned repentance, old-fashioned apologies unto God and old-fashioned apologies unto the church. Amen. That kind of stuff. So that kind of stuff's forgotten about anymore. We think that if it's nobody else, it's, you know, ain't affecting nobody but me. That's wrong. You're wrong. That's dead wrong. Your life, the life you've chosen to live, affects your family. It affects your home. It affects your church. It affects others you're around. We need to see lives turned around and directed in different directions. Take heed unto thyself. And unto the doctrine. Take heed. Look at you. Well, I'm looking at, I can't look at me. I'm, look, I'm watching Brother Philip. Don't look at Brother Philip. Look at you. Well, I, Brother Mark, y'all don't understand Brother Mark's death. Uh-uh. Hold on a second. Look at you. When I get help, is when I look at me. And I see my flaws. And I got a bunch of them. I see my failures. And I quit trying to justify my failures by somebody else's. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Am, y'all, am, we, we at home now? We, we talking all right? Y'all understanding what I'm saying? Well, we bad to try to justify our failures by lining them up with somebody else's failures. Brother, not going to work. I wonder this morning if you say.
inside of you? Is there an inkling of a doubt? I can't tell you the, night, the days that I went to church. Brother Mike, living outside of the will of God, I'd sit in church and the preacher would preach something on this line. And he'd say, make sure you're saved. And I'd say, well, I'm going to take my chances. I sure hope I am. I sure hope I am. I ain't read your mail. I'm just preaching what God's put up on my heart this morning. I don't know your life, but I know what the Bible says. If there'll ever be a difference made, I don't know. You better make sure. You're not justifying yourself by someone.